Hello, hello, and welcome to another Hometown Daily, the new show powered by Hometown.com. Hometown.com is a news aggregator that I put together to manage my information overload. Just had a conversation about it today. I hope you find it interesting. Go over to Hometown.com, sign up, become a citizen, and uh, you get some added functionality once you're a citizen. Uh, but everybody, it's open to the public. So go over and check it out. 50 sub channels, six main categories, uh, a whole bunch of news sources that I aggregate a whole bunch of information into those 50 channels. Go check it out. Um, today is February 27th, 2024. It's season three, episode 58 of the hometown daily news show. I am Mayor Watt. That is hometown. <laughs> that is hometown.com. I'll never get it right. Um, and, uh, the AI isn't here today. So we're going to do a quick rundown and I'm going to rifle through all 10 of our articles and give you my perspective of it. I haven't read any of the content other than a little snippet, which you'll get to witness when we go through it. Today, we're going to be taking a bite out of an asteroid, Apple AR trademark lawsuit, let them eat cereal, Willy Wonka AI ads, esports company lays off uh, some of its workforce. OpenAI says the New York Times tried to hack them wearable sticker for communication, how to read the Dune books, because Dune part two is uh, hitting the uh, movie theaters this week. And uh, well, I guess I'm not getting an iPhone 16 and the newest CRV is hydrogen and battery powered. Let's get into it on the other side of this. So welcome to the show. Uh, again, I am Mayor Watt and that is hometown.com. So go and check it out. Anyway, the first article. It's over in the reality hacker section. Asteroid that impacted, uh, or <laughs> asteroid impacted by spacecraft is reshaped like an M&M with a bite taken out. In 2022, NASA deliberately crashed a spa spacecraft into an asteroid to see if we, if we could divert it. Um, and to examine what it might have been made of. Now astronomers have found out that the impact may have reshaped the asteroid significantly. Uh, the article is over at digitaltrends.com. You know what? Before I get too far into it, let me throw it into the chat. There you go. And yeah, the bandwidth is really low, it says here. Anyway, I'll keep moving forward. Uh, the article's over at digitaltrends.com, Georgina Torbett, or Torbay, depending on if it's Colbert, Colbert or Colbert, um, put the article together. In 2022, the world watched with fascination as NASA deliberately crashed a spacecraft into an asteroid to test uh, of what kind of defense option might be available to humanity if an incoming asteroid ever threatened Earth. And it really depends on what the asteroid is made of because this turned out to be basically a large cluster of debris. If it was a huge metal iron object, then who knows if our little spacecraft would have done anything to it. So the uh, DART, as it's called, or Double Asteroid Redirection Test, was successful in changing the asteroid's orbit. Now we don't know where the heck it's going to come from eventually in the future. No, we know it's orbit now, but really who knows what, what kind of other uh, ramifications we've had on this thing the asteroid impacted uh, a uh, asteroid called dimorphous it's very small at around 500 feet across and the dart uh, uh, spacecraft crashed into it at a tremendous speed of nearly four miles per second um, it actually was orbiting a larger um, object a larger asteroid and uh, let's see if they it says this is a computationally intensive process with each simulation taking around a week and a half to run. And we ran around 250 simulations overall, reproducing the first two hours uh, after impact. Um, yeah, it's interesting. You can run many, many, many simulations um, over the same period of time because all you have to do is make a copy of the computational uh, formula whatever the simulation is and put it in a virtual machine, make hundreds of virtual machines and you could rerun that computational or, or parallel it with a whole bunch of other, you could do it on a raspberry Pi for crying out loud array of raspberry Pis. 
Anyway, uh, it says we incorporated all the values we did know, such as the mass of the DART spacecraft, approximate shape of the asteroid, the orbital deflection, size of the impact plume, etc., etc. But apparently, as a consequence, Hera will probably not be able to find any crater left by DART. What will what it will discover instead will probably be a different body. Their simulation suggests that Dimorphos uh, has had its initial flying saucer shape blunted on its impact side. If you think of Dimorphos as starting out as resembling a chocolate M&M, now it would have a bite taken out of it. But this is the simulation. It isn't an absolute. So they say the, the article's title is, I would say, um, not necessarily. It, it should say asteroid impacted by spacecraft could have could be shaped like an M&M with a bite taken out of it. Um, yeah. Okay, well, let's keep going. Uh, the next article is over in Smack Talk. Apple sues U.S. Patent Office over augmented reality trademarks. Apple has begun uh, has again filed a suit against the USPTO office, uh, um, refusing to allow terms such as reality composer to be trademarked. That's interesting. I, why would they do that? I don't know. Let's find out. It's not clear when Apple first filed for trademarks on reality composer and reality converter, uh, but it launched apps with those names by 2020. According to Reuters, whenever Apple originally filed for trademarks, the filing was challenged by Turkish firm Zero Density. Uh, the company is a visual effects uh, is a visual effects one, and its argument is that the terms could cause confusion with its trademark. William Gallagher over at AppleInsider.com put the article together. Um, let's see. These names in its full court in its full court filing. It's like basketball um, are made up terms coined by Apple that do not describe the underlying software development tools on which Apple uses these trademarks. Um, it says Apple's new lawsuit focuses on this uh, latter claim and attempts to refute it. So let's see its own reality trademarks and also that Apple's uh, terms simply describe what the Apple software does. So they are suggestive, just like Burger King is a fast food chain, not an actual monarch, continues Apple. The combination of two incongruous terms into one mark, which together require imagination in order to make sense practically, are hallmarks of a suggestive mark. In contrast, they use examples of Raisin Bran or American Airlines, straightforwardly describe the goods. So Zero Density responded by saying that it's surprised and concerned by Apple's misrepresentation and misrepresentation of our company, misinterpretation and misrepresentation of our company, refusing to uh, resolute in defending our reality trademarks. So I wonder if Zero Density, I'd, I'd have to go and look it up, but um, yeah. So I wonder if the, the marks by zero density are actually something that is in use as a reality composer and reality converter. And if you have something reality and then something after it, I'm sorry, it's not going to be too much confusion. It's just a different name for a similar product, you know, um, a different name for a, a, a piece of software. So the company is a visual effects one and, and its argument is that the terms could cause confusion with its own reality trademark. And um, there is a user here that uh, posted a comment, Flydog, um, earlier today that posted a comment on appleinsider.com's uh, website uh, that rightly uh, addresses the fact that it isn't a lawsuit against the USPTO. They're basically challenging the fact that the mark is being used by Turkish firm. Um, it's not really a lawsuit, so to speak. They're basically saying that w they are challenging the mark and that Apple is actually the uh, first to use that mark in its uh, commercial enterprise. So zero density is trying to defend its mark and trying to prevent dilution of its mark if it is 
you know, grant if a a mark is granted to Apple, um, they might think that it's, you know, um, going to detract from zero density. But yeah, I don't know. This this isn't as straightforward as a lawsuit from Apple versus the USPTO. Um, zero density challenged the trademark and Apple has a right to respond to that challenge. And it goes, it's entirely going through um, the USPTO. So uh, nobody's really suing the USPTO as far as I can tell. I don't see anything like that. Anyway, it'll be interesting to watch this. <clears throat> um, I'm into VR and AR, you know, mixed reality. And uh, I, I've never used reality converter or composer. So it'll be interesting to see what shakes out from this. Let's keep going though. Um, but before I do, let me throw this into the chat. You can always follow the show notes to the source information and come back and talk with Marwat. So the next article is over in hometown daily Kellogg's faces backlash after encouraging cash strapped shoppers to eat cereal for dinner. Quote, what the hell kind of dystopian hellscape is this? Apparently somebody said, um, this is the equivalent, I guess, of let them eat cake. Kellogg's is advertising cereal for dinner as an alternative to people struggling with food prices, but people aren't impressed with WK Kellogg's CEO Gary Pilnick's comments. Social media users say cereal is no longer cheap anyway, and like in Pilnick's remarks to let them eat cake. Oh God, they actually said exactly what I said. Huh. That's funny. I didn't read this. I, <laughs> uh, I love it when a plan comes together, I suppose. That's pretty funny. Yeah. The first thing that I saw when I read this little, or the first thing that I thought of when I read the title was, huh, very, uh, <laughs> very entitled, um, very elitist. Let them eat cake. Um, Kellogg's is advertising cereal as an affordable dinner. I don't, I can't remember a time as an adult that cereal was cheap um maybe you can find cheap cereal but kellogg's is not kellogg's the brand name cereal isn't cheap not that i know i mean yeah, <laughs> yeah i just don't get it um and honestly if they would have just said you know eat cereal for dinner then i would buy into it you know because i love a you know a good uh, 9 p.m bowl of cereal sometimes it's actually pretty filling and and it tastes good if you get the right cereal if you hate your cereal get different cereal but um for crying out loud sitting there going if you're struggling for funds and you can't afford food eat cereal i mean that's pretty elitist kind of douchebaggery so um you know what be pissed off at kellogg's all you want um i don't think that they're gonna really care all that much until you really hit them where it counts which is in the pocketbook and their stock uh, you know what if their stock declines they're just going to have all of their their cash coffers ready to buy back stock and consolidate uh the 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 wealth into the c-suite and into the stockholders not not the stakeholders the stockholders then they'll lay off uh, you know a thousand people and make themselves even more richer while you know basically uh, hurting all of the employees that made it into the company that it is. That's uh, kind of a lose-lose for the employees in all of this. Um, unless they were uh, invested in the company too. Anyway, the article is actually housed over at Business Insider. Grace Dean is the author. Yeah, I don't know of it. I cannot remember a time when I would look at cereal and go, okay, that's cheap. At least not name brand cereal. Yep. Uh, let's see. Do they say anything else in the article that um, I can kind of tear apart? Often wrongly attributed to Marie Antoinette during the French Revolution. Yep. Um, advertising to hungry people that cereal might be good for dinner is not meeting where people... Uh, not It is not meeting people where they are. Author Marianne Williamson wrote on the website formerly known as Twitter. It's exploiting the hungry for financial gain and exposing yourself as a sociopath. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
an entitled rich sociopath. So, and another example of why I say, as you become richer and richer, you move up the ladder of sociopathy um, until you're completely disconnected and you think that everything you say is brilliant. Um, that's kind of where that person is, is starting to sound like, but hey, I'm not, I'm not their doctor, so just my perception. Uh, they talk about a bunch of other stuff, but cereal prices shot up 13% in 2022 alone. Um, they actually round up. It says grocery stores, uh, grocery prices soared uh, during the pandemic as supply chain chaos pushed up costs for producers. Except that the prices haven't come down and the supply chain is actually back into order. And supposedly the supply chain wasn't taking a shit during all of this. The average price of cereal in the U.S. went up 6% in 2021. 2022, it went up 13% and just 0.3% in 2023. Um, that's because all of the value is pulled out of it in the previous two years. So it went up in two years, two and a half. Well, I, let's count uh, a 2023 entirely, just so that we can get it even closer to 20% in three years. But did any one of your salaries go up nearly 20% in three years. Yeah, highly doubt it. In December, breakfast cereal compromise, uh, comprised about 1%, 1.5% of America's uh, average Americans uh, grocery spending. So, you know, not that much, but when you do buy it, I think that it is pretty damn expensive for what it is. So no, people aren't out there buying cheap cereal. The cheap version is more expensive than it used to be as well. So if you want to sit there and, and uh, put an embargo on Kellogg's, then don't eat Frosted Flakes, don't eat Fruit Loops, Corn Flakes, Raisin Bran, but nobody eats Raisin Bran. Um, they say they do, but they actually just eat the bran and leave the raisins floating around at the bottom or rolling around at the bottom of their bowl. Uh, outside of cereal, the company also sells Pop-Tarts, Pringles, and Graham Crackers. Now, graham Crackers is kind of a kid's staple and, and uh, good periodically. Pringles, I could probably live without forever. But when I do have them, hey, once you pop, you can't stop. And uh, Pop-Tarts themselves uh, seemingly are more expensive and smaller than I remember them. But maybe it's because I'm getting bigger. Uh, there's a little bit more over at this article, so follow the link and you'll, uh, where is that quote? No, I won't go back into it. Anyway, go over to Business Insider and show Grace Dean some attention there. Let's keep going. The next article is over in the Mobile Channel. Cops called to Willy Wonka experience as crying children realize AI ads were lies. Oh, think of the children. AI needs to be brought down because it's making children cry. Police were called to the scene of Willie's chocolate experience in Glasgow, Scotland, as children burst into tears when the immersive experience promised in AI advertisements turned out to be a sparsely decorated warehouse. <laughs> Brutal. Uh, the articles over at Gizmodo, Thomas Germain is the author. Willy Wonka's experience, Willy Wonka's experiences, AI fueled promises were pure imagination. You have to sing pure imagination. Can you imagine if that's what you thought you were getting and that's what you actually got? Look at that. I mean, talk about <laughs> reality slap. If it didn't look like this, I would want my money back unless it was fake. Oh no, it was $45 or 35 pounds for a ticket. House of Illuminati, the organization behind the event, reportedly charged up to 35 pounds per ticket or about 45 US dollars for an afternoon of activities based on the Timothy Chalamet Wonka reboot. The event was promoted with AI renderings full of lollipop forests, jelly bean waterfalls, flying horses, giant mushrooms, and other fantastical larger than life scenes, promising, quote, a place where chocolate dreams become reality. Um, so yeah. Oh, you know what? 
Let's click through some of the slides. Oh, come on. Dun, dun, dun. That's what it was. There's another. How about that? Oh, that's just a, that's not even a slide. Oh, that's horrible. So that was the entrance. And that is what they ended up with. <laughs> That's horrible. Absolutely horrible. So um, the article says disappointed families reported that the whimsical Oompa Loompas turned out to be struggling actors frantically reciting scripts that were handed out the night before the event. Actors reportedly wrote on social media that they were asked to improvise with props that weren't even there when they arrived. Uh, customer Stuart Sinclair wrote on Facebook that it took around two minutes through an event that was supposed to provide an hour of entertainment where the main attraction was people lining up to complain to flustered organizers. Unbelievable. So uh, according to this, the House of Illuminati reportedly offered 850 customers full refunds and canceled the event just a day in. Why would they put it together if it looked like that? That's horrible. Um, yeah, so it turned out to be a sparsely decorated warehouse. If this was actually in coordination with Wonka, yeah, there's going to be a reckoning. <laughs> um, maybe the company just kind of didn't follow through with uh, whatever budget they were actually offered. Mm, I don't know. Some of this stuff looks like if it was done right with more... Um, it would get a whole lot closer, but it needed a whole lot more. This is just horrible. All right, folks, let's keep on trucking through all of these articles. Oops, let me do that. The next article is over in Warcrafters. The largest esports company in the world is laying off 15% of its workforce. Uh, you might be thinking that it's like a thousand people or something, but uh, no, it's not here. Let's just go straight on over to the source. Andy Chalk. Um, has a deck statement here that says all in the name of efficiency and profits. It's over at pcgamer.com. Let me throw it in the link through hometown into the chat. There you go. Wow. No, that has to be, that can't be a legit picture. No way. Um, so esports company ESL face it group. I think it's pronounced that way. Not sure announced today that is laying off roughly 15% of its global workforce in order to support sustainable growth ambitions and profitability. So they're trying to extend their runway. ESL Facebook group or face it group was formed in 2022 after savvy gaming, savvy gaming group, a holding company owned by Saudi Arabia's public investment fund purchased esports organizer ESL and tournament platform face it for a reported $1.5 billion and then merged them into a single unit. The goal, ESL Face It group, group said uh, in the merger announcement, was to create the ultimate platform for create for competitive gaming uh, and uh, developers to build a sustainable competitive gaming community in esports ecosystems. Um, all that mergers and acquisitions do is constrain competition. It constrains profit to the rich. It limits competition. Um, it removes options. Uh, I, and I understand that sometimes a company, a company's founders and operators go, you know what? We just can't do this. Let's sell to somebody. I, I, I get it. I understand why it happens. Um, but every time there is a merger or acquisition, the, <laughs> People are fired, but they've been working their butt off for each of the companies to make the company better. And their reward is basically to get fired while the people who quote unquote took the risk, <laughs> which I'm sorry, you go into it knowing that you're taking the risk. You, I just, I, I don't know. I have a hard time with mergers and acquisitions because I see it all the time that on the other side of it is people getting fired after pouring their heart and soul into a business um, that they thought was going to be 
as loyal to them as they are to uh, the business. But no, that's usually not how it works. Uh, with the industry in constant change, we must adapt, become more efficient, um, and be more flexible as a team. These moves, along with our efforts to reorient the team on EFGs and blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's all, it's all uh, equivocating. You know, they're all just saying, uh, n no, we really are doing this for purely business as if that is okay. Um, but it's not. People are still being impacted by it. And I'm sure that all of the people that are running this thing are really sobbing at night. The actual number of people being put out to work was not revealed. So they say that it has somewhere around 900 employees. So it would put the figure at about 135. Um, but yeah, yes, I'll face it. Layoffs come in the days after major cuts from Sony, which uh, announced today 900 people were being let go. That This is an article um, over in uh, Omtown as well that it was aggregated there. And uh, I don't know who it links to, but um, PC Gamer wrote about it as well. And it's just a brutal beginning of 2024 because uh, I think there's something around 2,000 people that have already been fired. Maybe more. I just don't know the full number, but I seem to recall something easily uh, hitting 2,000 people. So let's keep going. Maybe. Yeah, we'll get there one of these days. Please. Uh, the next article is over in open, uh, sorry, in Omtown Daily. OpenAI says New York Times paid someone to hack OpenAI's products in federal court filing. That's not where they hacked it, but that's where they announced it. Um, Open OpenAI alleged that the New York Times hired someone to hack its platforms. The Times sued OpenAI and Microsoft in December for copyright infringement, and OpenAI also alleges that the Times gamed its platforms to generate deceptive evidence for its case. Um, and I'm more inclined to believe that regardless, because information is information. It only becomes a problem. How do I put this? Um, if the information was publicly accessible without having to have an account, and I, I really don't like paywalled information uh, put ads on the site, you know, that's what your newspaper essentially was. Um, and, and, uh, and do it right. Do it, uh, build a superior product and people will, those who find it of value will pay for it, um, or arrive to deal with your ads. Um, if open AI could access the material, then it's just like everybody else. They can just look at it they, and, and if I had an eidetic memory, then you would, you wouldn't know that I've consumed your information and all information impacts whoever it is that consumes the information. It may happen subconsciously. It may happen consciously, but the information is still changing my day. At least, you know, hour, minute, second, it's impacting me. Open AI can reviewing website data, data across the world of all shapes and sizes and whatever. I just have a hard time with it being coined as being, you know, copyright infringement or whatever, or that it's training data. Training data is what? You know, uh, apparently it's training data for me too. I, I should be paying some inordinate amount of data. And here's how much this costs. The fire hose, I guess, for Reddit is $60 million a year or something like that. I guess that's for all of its data. $60 million. Am I reading that right? I think um, I'll have to look again, but uh, Reddit just started supplying data. Um, so that's where they're making a whole chunk of money. In response to the New York Times lawsuit against OpenAI, the artificial intelligence company is clapping back, saying, I, that's such a, I hate that phrase, clapping back, saying in a new, new federal court filing that the Times hired someone to hack OpenAI platforms. The truth, which will come out in the course of this case, is that the Times paid someone to hack OpenAI's products. I don't know if this was a wordsmith kind of a hack or a security breach, but in the new court filing, 
OpenAI is asking the judge to try uh, in the in charge of the uh, overarching case uh, to dismiss in full or part four of the six counts uh, the times leveled against OpenAI in the lawsuit, at least diminishing its um, power um, and the ability to leverage use those um, charges. For example, the Times alleged that it's in its original complaint that OpenAI's GPT-4 spat out near verbatim copies of Times articles when prompted. But OpenAI's attorneys wrote on Monday's motion that the way the Times got the AI platform to show seemingly plagiarized responses was not in line with its own famously rigorous journalistic standards. Not only did the Times pay someone to hack OpenAI's uh, products, the filing alleges, but it also gained the system to produce misleading evidence for the case. So it says it took them tens of thousands of attempts to generate the highly anomalous results outlined in the Times complaint. So I, I really want to know how it was done and exactly what what the evidence really was on the back end. So keep that in mind when you're feeding information into an open AI system. It's not just yours. There's somebody else looking at that stuff. Did I put that in there? Yeah. Okay. So, um, just to make sure Grace Eliza Goodwin is the author of this article over at business insider. And yeah, you're, you're going to find out just what went down. I'm sure that there are people paying very close attention to this that are going to do some type of um, breakdown or uh, debrief regarding what 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 happened in the court um, it says and even then they had to feed the tool portions of the very articles they sought to elicit verbatim passages of virtually all of which already appear on multiple public websites exactly that's just how information is it, it gets exchanged people talk about it um, yeah, and I certainly do. I talk about it all the time. And I actually, when I'm talking about it, not only do I give credit where credit is due, but sometimes you'll find out that there are things that are tied to other, like links within links or references within references. Uh, the New York Times writes about something and then Business Insider references the New York Times and then some other company writes about it, but they learned about it from Business Insider. So they mentioned Business Insider and then somewhere else in the article, they mentioned the New York Times as well. And but there's all this content that people have publicly posted um, and the uh, intent is to consume it and you pay attention to the ads around it. I mean, it's not like you sit there and and follow a bus so that you can read the ads, but you end up looking at the subconsciously even absorbing the content from the sides of buses. Um, that's what advertising is. If it ever motivates somebody to actually click on the ad, I'd be surprised. <laughs> I think it's an accident that people do it. Um, anyway, let's keep going. The next article is over in technology today. Wearable sticker turns hand movements into communication. I think this is going to be interesting. I'm going to go straight on over to the source. Tech Explorer is the source, and uh, it's written by Optica, um, which is probably the maker of this. But if that is the sticker, man, you know, oh, oh, okay, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Let me, I know what this thing is, uh, because I was actually going to get some of these for an experiment. But um, So the article, again, is over at techexplorer.com by Optica, and the title of it is Wearable Sticker Turns Hand Movements into Communication. So I think this is the wearable sticker, this white thing, not this big old block. This is um, a uh, gyroscope. Um, so the new sensor combines a soft and flexible material called polydimethylsiloxane, or PDMS, thank you for giving it an acronym, with an optical component known as a fiber brag grating. The researchers designed it to be comfortable for long-term wear while having the ability to detect movement with high accuracy. Um, and the paper is uh, it published in the journal Biomedical Optics Express. That's interesting. So for someone recovering from a stroke, these sensors could monitor risk, uh, wrist, uh, finger, or even facial movements to monitor their rehab. 
Uh, for individuals with severe mobility or speech impairment, the sensors could translate gestures or facial expressions into words or commands, enabling them to communicate with others or interact with technology more easily. Yeah, you could uh, essentially translate um, minuscule movements or micro movements um, into something that can be translated into speech or gesture. Um, or writing or anything really um, it's kind of an external version of a Neuralink um, if Neuralink actually stands up to what it is proposing to be so it's pretty cool as you move it detects the change in um, the sensor and I don't know how many degrees of freedom it's talking about here it uh, intimates that there's going to be at least three uh, roll pitch and yaw but i don't know um let's see here so the real magic comes from the combination of pdms and fbgs we found that using a thicker pdms patch caused a more pronounced wavelength shift leveraging that sensitivity enhancing effect with pdms allows those optical or these optical sensors to detect even the slightest bend of a wrist or twist of a wrist bend of a finger or twist of a wrist sorry so yeah maybe it's just the those three degrees hmm this will allow users to interact with technology and help caregivers or medical professionals monitor progress um, or data in real time yeah pretty cool yeah more of these would allow and if you can use these really fine uh, connective wires I think these are actual wires um, that would be really interesting there's a video that you can use uh, you can uh, click on the video when you go over there uh, go and check out techexplore.com let's keep going though come on here we go the next article is over in technology or sorry the continuity report how to read the dune books in order so the second half of Dune is coming out uh, this week, I think it is. Uh, Frank Herbert published Dune more than 50 years before Timothy Chalamet starred as Paul Atreides in Dillas Villeneuve's uh, popular Dune series. Series is hard. Um, and several more books set in the sci-fi dystopian world followed the first novel in the years since. David Lynch directed the first movie adaptation of Herbert's book, which was released in 1984 and was a critical and commercial failure. I loved it. Um, however, almost 40 years later, Villeneuve attempted to revive the on-screen franchise with a two-part epic sci-fi series and was substantially more successful than Lynch. But that's because a massive budget and huge scale and upgraded graphics, special effects, um, I actually, I, and the story was even more enhanced, truer to uh, Dune than the original movie, uh, the 1984 movie. Uh, but let's see, we, it says here, how to read the Dune books in order. So Sarah Little over at Screen Rant put the article together and it says that it, the deck statement says, uh, Dennis Villeneuve's Dune film based on uh, Frank Herbert's 1965 novel of the same name, but plenty of other books followed the first. And yeah, there's 23 books in the Dune Chronicles with Frank Herbert contributing six and his son uh, took his notes and amplified everything. Reading the Dune books chronologically offers the best experience due to the series complex timeline. So I'm going to rifle through these really quick. I, I don't know which what, what all is going to be involved in this. I don't think there's going to be 23. There is 23. So uh, though, these are the books. Let me see if they say how to read them in chronological order. Okay, there you go. So yeah, this, <laughs> this is actually pretty interesting. So the books are up here in the order that they were released, right? Um, and I've read a few of these. Um, the House Atreides, House Harkonnen, House Carino books um, are awesome. The ones that are like really weird are um, Children of Dune, God Emperor of Dune. Um, but I haven't read all of them, uh, but I, I certainly will be picking them up and, and starting the process of reading them. 
Um, I read the Butlerian Jihad. I let, I read the Machine Crusade. These you should read um, in their order. They give all of the backstory before you even get to Dune. Um, because, uh, yeah, I don't know how to describe it other than there is a huge amount of world building that took place after Dune was created and after Frank Herbert passed away, Brian Herbert picked it up uh, and ran with it with Anderson. And I think that you'll really dig this. Um, yeah, at the very end is Sandworms of Dune. You really should check it out. Um, so they go, they talk about which of the books you should absolutely read. I think you should read Dune. That is the that's the only one really i think that they probably say you should absolutely read some can consume more than 50 year 50 novels a, a year so reading all 23 books is a tall order for the average person uh, so it wouldn't be surprising if someone wanted only to read the important dune books the best place to start would be with frank herbert's six contributions to the series but i i don't know i think dune itself the, the book Dune itself would be a, the perfect place to start. But if you want to know all of the backstory about how it got there, um, you should probably read the house books, House Atreides, House Arconan, House Carino, and the Butlerian Jihad. That actually sets the trend for all of this. Um, and I don't want to get into it. I don't want to spoil it. There is a lot of world building here, how they got here, how Dune came into existence and why everybody is um there's why it's such an odd assortment of what seems like high-end futuristic steampunk and technology um that uh is light years ahead of what you can imagine um only to fall back into you know sticks and uh, knives made out of a tooth from a worm um on dune itself or in the book dune it's just amazing so uh yeah go and check this out it's over at screen ramp but i'm gonna click i'm gonna post the link through hometown you can read the little snippet if that doesn't tease you into following the link over to the source i don't know what would um, i'd love to have a big um, group of people watch at the same time um, but obviously it's they don't make it easy for us to all watch a movie at the same time. That's for damn sure. Not as a community here uh, in hometown, but it is what it is. Let's keep trucking. We have two more articles to go through. The next article is over in Smack Talk. iPhone 16 Pro fidget spinner camera bump rumor is bogus. This is kind of the no shit news kind of thing. Uh, a rumor claiming that Apple is changing the iPhone 16 pro camera bump from a square to a triangle makes no sense and has no backup from any other rumor source. Um, it's an Apple Insider article, by the way, and uh, they talk about this being like a little triangle or some other oddball thing. Um, yeah, Malcolm Owen over at uh, appleinsider.com put the article together. And I said, well, I guess if it's not going to be an actual fidget spinner, I'm not going to buy the iPhone 16 because you know what really use is the uh, the iPhone 16 if not a fidget spinner why would they do anything like this uh, it would I don't know this is so weird why they would do this so the bump on the back of the iPhone has been square for quite a few years with its thickness providing enough uh, space to squeeze the complex camera systems uh, into that little socket while Apple could always change the design of the bump, and they always do between iterations, just enough that makes it require a, a new uh, case. Something always changes. Anyway, serial leak, leaker, which in any other context would be a negative. Um, Majin Bu, I guess, uh, offered a similar post on uh, Twitter on February 17th and February 24th seven days apart so it seems like it might have been programmatic i don't know it seems weird uh, with each depicting an iphone with a 
completely different camera bump. To me, that looks more like a render that took a week to do because they were learning how to do 3D modeling. And this actually looks hand drawn. I, I don't, I don't, whatever. It's all weird. At the second post offered pretty much the same sort of rumor, albeit with a, an appearance that was more of a round triangle than a fidget spinner. The leaker adds the modules shape is claimed could allow more cameras to be added in the future. No, this is a sensor array and cameras, not just cameras. No. Yeah. And I agree. It is B uh, hashtag dollar sign ampersand uh, right or left parent star uh, IT period. <laughs> Malcolm Owen. There you go. Anyway, I'm going to go on to the very next and our last article. And this is over in Hometown Daily. And it is about the new Honda CRV because it's going to be hydrogen and battery powered. The 2025 Honda CRV EFCEV is a revolutionary product that allows drivers to use hydrogen or battery electric power to operate the vehicle. And this might be like the go to uh, because these hybrid electric vehicles um, allow you to go to a location, charge up with hydrogen, use the battery and use the hydrogen to charge the battery and you drive on the battery. Um, so Honda's new take on the CRV will be the country's third fuel cell, uh, electric vehicle for passengers on the market, uh, joining Hyundai Nexo SUV and Toyota Mirai sedan. The automaker sees hydrogen as being an alternative fuel, uh, an alternative fuels pathway forward. That is a hard sentence to say like that. Extending the range, zero emission vehicles can travel without needing to stop for a charge and minimizing battery size. So you'll always have to stop and fill it. That's basically it. And the way that I see it is the only way that um, pure electric vehicles are going to persist um, in the next few years, pure battery electric vehicles are going to start suffering from a traumatic and dramatic increase in the number of failures of the batteries as they reach their terminal charging life. They can't be recharged again forever and ever. They have to be dismantled, uh, remanufactured, and then put back into service. They, they, it doesn't run forever. Um, but there's a lot of these batteries that are the sled of a Tesla and you have to get them out it's somewhere around seven to $10,000. It's going to increase in price as lithium costs and the, the, um, the mineral, the metals that are needed, the, uh, the more exotic materials within a battery are, uh, ever increasing in costs and coming from hostile nations. Um, and uh, not to mention all of the human uh, capital that's being spent. People are losing their lives in open pit mining and stuff. Um, just horrendous workplace uh, conditions. So a hydrogen fuel cell system means that you wouldn't have any, uh, you wouldn't have as much because the battery would still need to be made. Uh, the new SUV uses a next generation Honda fuel cell module. The Japanese automaker previously sold the Honda FCX and Clarity fuel cell FCEVs in North, in America. Um, this new fuel cell system has had its cost reduced by two thirds compared to the cost of the system in the Clarity. So it's going to deliver 174 horsepower and 229 feet, uh, pound feet of torque, giving it a little less horsepower than the traditional CRV maxes out at, but far more torque. That's because uh, electric motors um, versus uh, uh, internal combustion engines, they can essentially be immediately on. They don't have to spin up a torque converter. Or they don't necessarily have to deal with a transmission the same way. Um, they can just turn on and off you go. So let's see. You'll be able to drive in four modes, normal, sport, snow, and eco. Yeah, the one 
the one little blip on this is the battery is so small, you'll only be able to get a range of about 29 miles. So the other issue is not everybody is near a hydrogen charging system. So if you're somewhere that that doesn't take place, then you're kind of SOL. Um, yeah, I won't really go into too much of this, but the CRV seems like it's getting this particular one looks bigger and roomier than any CRV I've seen. Um, it looks more like, um, like a Nissan Juke or, uh, more like an SUV, uh, like a CRV to me hasn't looked like a, a full on SUV, but it definitely looks like an SUV here. CRV seems smaller to me, the ones that I've seen. Well, interesting. Yeah, maybe I'll do that. Uh, buyers get a Honda power supply connector with their vehicle. The connector uh, operates like a 110 volt household outlet, which means that it's going to suck charging. And I don't mean it's just going to suck juice into that battery. It's just going to be horrible. Um, they, they always 110 volts take forever to charge a battery. 2025 Honda CRV F it's called the E colon F C E V made in Marysville, Ohio will be available to lease in California beginning later this year. Pricing will be announced closer to the models on sale date. So the writer, um, for this, it's over at Newsweek. I guess I failed to say the name. Eileen Falkenberg Hull is the author. Um, and again, that that's the last article for today. It's over at Newsweek.com. Um, okay, so we always get back into the party bus and I drive us all the way back down Main Street. And I would sit there and click on something, but I really don't know what's going to happen. Um, eh, forget it. I had one of my um, articles or one of my um, episodes blocked. So it's very frustrating because I don't talk politics, um, but even a mere line of text that mentions a, a a certain political party, and it's not everything apparently, it's only certain political parties, um, or certain political parties and their members, and then I get booted. So it's very, very frustrating uh, because I don't even like talking about politics in the shows. Anyway, that's it for today. I am Marwat. That is hometown.com. And we are done for today. We'll see you tomorrow at the same bat time, same bat. Oh, I can't say that. I'm going to get struck for copyright. And next thing you know, by the way, Demolition Man was a documentary and Taco Bell wins the fast food wars. I've said too much. <laughs>